chapter 17, in which madness is apparent in more than one of us. The Grail draws all threads together. An attempt at amnesty, Klosterholm's fury, a fresh attack, intervention from the heavens, imitation of Lucifer. Klosterholm had completed his meal in the tap room. His plate was piled high with clean bones. Monsorbier was sure he'd succeed, he said casually. He recruited every creature in Muremberg which Hell had abandoned. Every wretched Laudanum swallower, every low Picario who resisted Lord Orenyard's rule. Enough scum, he thought, to flow over everything and drown you in filth. He looked upon von Bresenvort's contorted corpse. This one lacked character. He was bound to fail. Klosterheim nodded to himself. His body rocked for a few moments. Then he took himself in charge and glanced up at me, still chewing. Did Monsorbier have a further plan? I asked. You must see it's now in your interest to reveal it. Klosterheim sighed. I am abandoned by all. Even human allies desert me. "'Tis you, sir, who turned traitor when you thought your ambitions were better served elsewhere. You were never a real rival to your master Satan. Labossa bristled with angry contempt. You've played every side now, and every card you've put on the table has been too low. All you held were pride and foolish dreams when you thought you had aces and queens. Is that not plain to you?' He fully expected to win. I presumed Klosterheim spoke of Monsorbier. He had the whole collection bottled up, he said, and the bottle perfectly positioned. Aesthetical, he said, as well as supernatural. A perfection and symmetry. But as for myself... The grail draws all threads together. Labossa spoke under her breath. I have great power, said Klosterheim dreamily. Power I have not yet deigned to use. I did my best to, like... The rest of you, but in doing so I lost my way. My main fear is that I lack a core. My soul's been in and out of this body so many times I might have grown threadbare. I thought it might regenerate if I joined the commonality. What, Klosterheim? You sought to emulate every man? I laughed. Klosterheim pursed his lips. I should not have let von Bresenvort's kill his aunt. It put everything out of kilter. Your mistake was to slay the Goat Queen, sir. You indulged your hellish bloodlust at the very moment you might have saved yourself. You let the beast overwhelm you. In that sense, you emulate Lucifer. He knew what it meant to be both more and less than human. I was grim. By slaughtering the old woman, he had lost the sympathy I once felt. I have the floor, said Klosterheim seriously. We all have it, sir. Labusa looked towards the cellar, from whence comes a great banging and scraping as the men shored our defences. The red O'Dowd, dusty and soaked to the knees, came up the stairs and into the tap room. He wiped his face with a cloth, calling to us. Can we expect him back soon, gentlemen? While the Grail's here, Klosterheim offered him a corrupt grin. Perhaps because all initiative was now taken from him, Klosterheim had gone quite mad. He pulled more cold bones towards him. He had gathered them off every table. 
The red O'Dowd was impatient. Well, I cannot give him what's not mine. "'Twas here before I came, that in the fish and the spring. "'Tis an implicit feature of the tavern. "'Hey,' mocked Labussa, "'is this in a shrine, a chapel on the side of a Christian miracle?' "'I would remind you, sir,' the O'Dowd spoke with dignity, "'that you give offence to some of us here who remain good Christians, "'even though we lack the benefit of priest or church.' "'God's gone from this world, sir,' she said. Yeah, that appears to be the case, aye, he agreed. Yet I was brought up in a certain religion and see no reason to abandon it, for the virtues remain. And besides, t'was Christ taught us, not his father. So you remain a good Catholic, O doubt. Klosterheim selected the largest bone. Half-cooked meat hung from it. He nibbled. Well, we all button ourselves into rolls, eh? We're both anachronisms, sir. The Red O'Dowd misliked any affiliation suggested by that ex-servant of hell. He glowered at Klosterheim. You may be abandoned by Satan, sir, and I abandoned by God, but that does not put us in the same cart, nor even upon the same road. There's only one road now, sir. Klosterheim grinned around his bone, or shall be in a day hence. And it's my road, O'Dowd, not yours. The great Irishman was dismissive. Your time's past, sir, and I'm not pleased with you. You helped bring disturbance to my house, and I'll see you tried and punished when this business is settled. Klosterheim fixed insouciant eyes upon his feast. I'll kill you first, he muttered. There was another shock against the tavern's front. Lamps and candles danced on every wall. Muskets to positions, yelled the O'Dowd. There came a weird wailing from the street and a brighter light. O'Dowd turned his furious face from the window. They've fired the chandlers. Musketry still sounded from various positions, and wretched leprous creatures still collapsed one on the other. It was as if every prison, plague hospital and grave in the world had been opened, and its contents disgorged upon us. That they were living men and women and not undead ghouls was both a comfort and a dismay. Monsorbier recruited the hopeless, the powerless, the weak. What could he be promising them? The same as Robespierre? A heaven on earth? It made me wonder if, without dreams, mankind would continue at all. What ancient genius invented the myth of the improving future? They rushed mindlessly now upon our walls. They screamed, they giggled, and they wailed. O'Dowd leapt from taproom to gallery to roof, half mad with horror. His tavern had never been attacked thus. He had thought his wars over. Now he realised peace had been merely a lull. Lebusser and I took up muskets and went to the shutters, firing it into the mass. Monsorbier was nowhere in evidence. This attack lacked a sense of strategy and seemed merely a vengeful display of power. Monsorbier had doubtless decided to destroy us if he could not capture what he thought we guarded. Klosterheim within had grown increasingly amused. With every wave, with every shaking of our walls, he laughed as if some secret. He laughed as if he had some secret denied to the rest of us. And then of a sudden, there was stillness again. Peering out, we saw only the dead and the dying. Ragged, pale creatures, many with ghastly wounds, 
dragged themselves over the piled corpses of their comrades. Framed against the flaming chandlers, Monsoromier appeared with three or four of his men. He was obscenely elegant, the dandified sans-culotte. Hand on hip, he paced back and forth, back and forth, studying our tavern. The red O'Dowd was grimmer than ever, all his elation gone. He growled, we're forced to parlay now. Soon our shot and powder will be low, and I've lost more men than I ever reckoned reasonable. I'll not die or let any more of my people die in defence of a public ordinary with a declining trade. I'll find another hostelry for my old age. You have changed your tune mighty quick, sir, said Labussa. I've always done so, sir, in the face of fact, he replied without shame. One of us must pay our lay. I'll go out, volunteered Klosterheim from behind us. I've naught to lose by it. Uh, that's while you'll stay, sir, the red O'Dowd was savage, sincere in his plan to bring Klosterheim to justice. Let her faults go. He's most neutral, I think. Labussa nodded. Very well, Mr. O'Dowd. I was amused by his mistaken assumption, yet feared, too, for her safety. However, I would not argue, since I had every respect for her cunning, her ability to strike the best bargain with Monsorbier. She would keep her head better than I could, I felt sure. Klosterheim left the table and came up near the door where we stood. Everyone conspires against me now, he confided. Yet you, conf you forget, t'was my plan from the outset. You're here, all of you, to aid me in the fulfilment of my destiny. He resumed his chewing. You never had a destiny, sir, said Labossa, save what you concocted in your soul's poverty. You're self-described as an anachronism, and that's what you are. You've served your turn, sir. You're as worthless as one of that decrepit mob. Lucifer has rejected you, and now mankind rejects you. Have the good taste, sir, to accept a fact. And she, as she spoke, she seized a white scarf from the O'Dowd's hand and tied it to the spontoon he gave her. I'll make Monsorbier call his mongrels off. You, sir, will keep your place and hold your tongue. Klosterheim's fleshless skull went a shade whiter. His dead eyes revealed a flicker, faint and swift, as when damp coals promise to ignite. You cannot treat me thus, madam, for tis I inspired your ambition. My blood inspired me, sir. While you proved useful, I let you think what you wished. She seemed almost as mad as Klosterheim at that moment, ready to reject any debt, moral or otherwise, which, by her own admission, she had owed him. You'll never be the Antichrist, he grimaced. Not now. I renounce you. Her smile was cruel triumph. Can the Baptist renounce the Messiah? You continue to add folly to your pride, Klosterheim. You've betrayed too much, in us and in yourself. Find some other Salome to make, at least, a dramatic ending to your tale. And then she had opened the tavern door and was crying, Truce! We'll parlay now, Monsorbier. I watched her move between the mounds of corpses, clambering over near-dead bodies, holding up the scarf like a victor's banner. She could never know defeat, thought I. Monsorbier gave the order to stay his men and hooked his thumbs in a sash, calmly awaiting her. When Klosterheim uttered a strange noise, I turned. He made a kind of choked keening. He was shuddering with impossible emotions. 
It was almost grief. All conspire, he grunted. He stumbled back. His dark eyes were fully on fire at last. All betray me. Everyone I sought to serve. Why? The red O'Dowd flung back his great head and shouted with laughter. <laughs> you sought to save, serve mankind? Faith, tis a claim I've often heard, Mr. Klosterheim, but none more ludicrous than yours. Satan's ex-captain rounded on the Irishman. And what can you know of it, sir? What? The O'Dowd looked down on that furious skull. Only the little th I need to know, sir. I'm a common man. I've listened to them. The Whigs, the Tories, the Jacobites and the Jacobins, the ranting ministers and the Masons, and those that call themselves the children of God. And each of them, sir, when they fail in their attempt to gain power, claim to have been betrayed by those they would save. Well, sir, I'll tell you direct. I'd rather be saved by one of those cancerous creatures out there than I'd entrust my fate to your kind. Klosterheim appeared to resume his old composure. His body ceased gradually to shake. His colour returned to its normal grey. He shrugged and went back to the table. He began to eat again, if anything even more voraciously. Our attention was drawn to the street. Above the circle of swaying towers and tenements which rimmed the district, the stars glowed the colour of rust and worn velvet. Meanwhile, Labossa continued to talk to Monsorbier. Both were bargaining. Both were determined. Then, as we watched, they appeared to reach agreement. Labossa nodded. Monsorbier removed his hat and settled it upon his head again. The Duchess of Crete turned, holding high the spontoon, and approached the tavern. Behind her, Monsorbier began to instruct his men, pointing this way and that. She came through the door, frowning. His terms are simple. We vacate the inn, taking nothing with us of value. Well, there's naught of value to take, said the old, said the O'Dowd. He means the grail, I said. Well, if that's done, she continued, we may go free, and no attack shall be made on us. Hmm, it sounds like an Englishman's bargain, said the O'Dowd with a frown. The same as was made at Munster, where the garrison marched out in good faith only to be butchered by the king's army. Well, sir, said Labussa, this could indeed be English honesty, but it looks to me as if it's the best we have. You'll give up your desire for the grail? I was astonished. The search can begin afresh, said she, once we're clear. <laughs> no time, said Klosterheim, sniggering, for a, for a new beginning. She ignored him, addressing our host. Well, Mr. Owdout... How does it strike you? Not well, sir. I think there are insufficient guarantees. How long do we have for discussing the bargain? She shrugged impatiently as if she had already decided her strategy and was irritated by the O'Dowd's understandable hesitation. Five minutes. Ah, that is not enough. Go out again, sir, I beg you, and get us half an hour. Klosterheim had moved subtly. Picking up an emptied musket from the floor, there was a bayonet fixed to the end. With frothing lips and unstable eyes, he charged directly at the O'Dowd. All betray me. All conspire. It was like a battle cry. The O'Dowd arched his back, pushing out his pelvis towards us, shoulders in the opposite direction, and a little tip of steel emerged 
just above the bottom button of his waistcoat. Oh, Jesus Christ, he cried aghast. Sirs, I am buggered. And grinning like a jackal, Klosterheim had bayoneted his anus. There was no way a person could die with dignity from such a cowardly wound. I had seen it before, amongst Washington's men in particular, when they punished Indian renegades. The musket was still dragging behind him, like a wooden tail as he moved on tiptoe, trying to escape the pain, trying to ensure the metal moved no further into his vitals. Stand, man, I shouted, bend forward. Oh, mother of God! A little blood came from his mouth now. I pulled the musket free and more blood followed it, gushing. There was no saving him. His men hardly realised what had happened. I pointed at Klosterheim, who stood crazy-eyed upon the stairs, then ran up past the gallery and beyond to the upper floors. Two men left in pursuit. The O'Dowd was weeping, lying on his stomach at last upon one of his own trestles. This is an unseemly, unchristian death, an unmanly death, sirs. Would ye hear my confession? You'd best have a co-religionist, said I, signing for one of the Ukrainians to come over. That's what you get, sir, for turning your back on the devil. The red O'Dowd offered us a small smile. There was so much blood around his mouth that the smile was almost obscured, and he changed his responses and received his consolation. Lubosa slung a pouch of shot and powder over her shoulder and retrieved another musket. The cellar, she cried, racing down the steps. I was torn between following her and staying with the dying Irishman, but she was back again shaking her head. I thought it was a fresh attack on us. Come, Von Beck, we'll defend the roof. Monsorbier's interlude is over. And sure enough, the horrid mob was on the move again. The walls rattled. The whole tavern threatened to fall. Everything was shaking loose. The O'Dowd's men fired back in concert. It was discipline battling disorder. I handed the spontoon with the white flag on it to the square-faced Ukrainian who took O'Dowd's confession. I'll leave you with this to use at your discretion. O'Dowd's eyes were closed. His great red beard stuck up around his poor, pallid face, and he continued to murmur the appropriate catchphrases which he hoped would lead him through the gates of heaven, or at least to wait patiently outside them until Lucifer and God came to a decision. It was a terrible, vicious action of Klosterheim's. He struck at any vital creature which possessed what he had been denied. Lubosa had been right, moreover. It was that following of murderous impulse which denied him unification, either with his master or with mankind. We were rushing up the stairs now in pursuit of Klosterheim, up the narrow servant's spy, uh, stepway, up a spiral, then a final ladder of polished wood which pointed towards the open skylight. It was obvious he must have climbed to the roof, but there was no sign of him. Some of the O'Dowd's bravos were still positioned there, with Greek fire burning and ready to be projected, and the two who followed after Klosterheim were there too, looking very baffled. We searched across the slopes and chimneys. He had gone. We peered over the knee-high battlements, but there was no sign of him on the ledges below, no sign of his body in the street. The mass was like writhing maggoty meat from that perspective. I drew back. I'll keep watch here, she said. You search downstairs again. 
I returned, flight by flight, to the tap room without seeing any sign of Klosterheim, and I began to believe he had magical powers as he had claimed. The O'Dowd was breathing his last and wanted to wanted me near him. I approached and placed my ear close to his mouth to hear what he so urgently wished to tell me. Don't, sir, I beg you, retail to anyone the manner of my dying. I see no dishonour in your death, sir. The dishonour was all Klosterheim's. I made no promise. His eyes closed and his laboured breathing was over, but there was smoke curling under our doors and windows. They're firing us as they fired the Chandlers, shouted the Ukrainian. Dropping his master's dead hand, he reached for his musket again. Ah, oh, Christ, they're using petroleum. The stench could have been naught else. At the same time, I heard Labussa screaming from the gallery. Von Beck, up here, hurry, man. Certain that she had found Klosterheim, I took the stairs in twos, but she led me upward, all the way back to the cold air of the roof. Of the roof, She was shouting to the soldiers, Down there, quickly, lads, you're needed. Wearily, they abandoned their positions and one by one lowered themselves through the skylight. Labossa looked oddly gratified. I was not sure we should risk leaving the roof unprotected and said so. She glared at me as if I were a victim of a March moon. We've no further need to stay, she told me, and pointed upward. Look, fool. There was a great shadow crossing the autumn stars. But it was not a bird, nor yet a witch. It was St. Audrin's aerial ship with its little sails and paddles, its monstrous round canopy, and its body the form of a flying griffin. There were particular muttering noises issuing from it now. Every so often a small explosion like a gunshot cracked out but no one was firing from up there. I saw sparks and feared lest they catch the inflammable gas and take the whole thing, a roaring ball of fire, to the ground. The thing jerked, quivered and dropped lower. St. Audrin seemed to have better than usual luck in steering the craft. He shouted to us now through a great brass megaphone. Stand clear! We'll throw you down a ladder! The whole tavern rocked as the mass collided with it once more. The musket fire grew more ragged. I prayed the defenders would leave before they were overrun. Would they leave their dead leader and escape him through the sewers? I was tempted to return, to order them to leave, and then, out of nowhere, I heard a voice at once strange and familiar. It called out softly to the mass. There were no words to the song, but it lulled them. At once the mob began gradually to calm like a sea after the storm. The voice crooned on, Gently that filthy tide until it had subsided completely. Next the mass began to sway, moaning in concert. I was scarcely able to accept the change, wondering if I were victim of an illusion. Then a rope ladder had struck the roof and Labussa began to climb, dropping her musket but keeping shot and powder. I could now see, peering from the side of the gondola, Prince Miroslav's face. The Russian was grinning down at us, plainly delighted with the adventure. I did not pause to wonder for how for long how they had found us, but thankfully put foot to ladder, starting my own climb, which was hampered somewhat by the unwieldy sword in my sash. I reached the gondola at last and was pulled to safety by a chuckling St. Audrin. Labussa was already being wrapped in a great woolen cloak by Prince Miroslav. The balloon swayed and jerked in the air. It seemed heavier and differently weighted. Good morrow, St. Audrin, said I. I'm glad to see your steering's improved. 
I too was slightly crazed on account of our experiences, but remembered to ask, how did you know we were at the tavern? Oh, and don't credit me for the steering, sir, said St. Audrin. You can blame Prince Miroslav for that. And surely you know your lady arranged this rendezvous when she came from here to Prince Miroslav's in that stolen carriage. I looked across at her, but she was hidden in the cloak. Now both her movements and her costume were explained, but I could not guess why she had not told me the truth. Why had she lied to me on so many issues? It suggested that she sought to manipulate us all by the best means. Confusion and deceit. When in the next moment the gondola jerked violently, St. Audrin was mystified. What's this now? He went to peer over the side and then whistled in surprise. By God, man, I didn't know you were there. I didn't know you were with us. Hold on for pity's sake, I'll drop the ladder to ye. Who is it? Labusa broke free of Miroslav's comfort. She and I went to join St. Audrin on the gondola's side. Ah, she was furious. We were high above the tavern now, with the roof at least a hundred feet below us. But there was a creature holding on to our trailing rope, swinging and kicking like a monkey. I heard his thin, desperate voice screaming, Traitors! Traitors! Labusa put a restraining hand on St. Audrin as he stooped to gather up the ladder piling at his feet. No, St. Audrin was disbelieving. It's your ally, madam. Klosterheim, what? You think it more prudent to lower the balloon? If he slips, he's done for, eh? Very well. He reached for the valve cord, but Labusa shook her head. No. St. Audrin glared at her in outrage. Madam, I've made it plain that I do not serve ye. Will you have me do murder for you now? He released gas from the valve. Slowly, he dropped back towards the tavern roof, and it became apparent that Klosterheim, with demonic tenacity, had succeeded in climbing a few more feet up the rope. I could hear him panting, see his black eyes glowing in that terrible skull. By God, said St. Audrin in admiration, he'll do it without the ladder. He's still stronger than Hercules. Soon, Klosterheim was little more than twenty feet from us. His expression was fixed, a silver mask of hatred which bordered on lust. He climbed steadily. He would be re revenged on all of us if he could, and was entirely without reason. St. Audrin held the descent steady, his gaze on Klosterheim almost as intense as Klosterheim's on him. Prince Miroslav crossed the gondola to busy himself with a new piece of machinery, blowing and throbbing there. Then the balloon stopped altogether, hanging as if frozen in the air. There was the sound of wind in the riggings, some mutterings from Miroslav's machine, our own breath, and we looked down. Far below, the tavern was shaking violently, seemingly torn asunder by the swaying and chanting of the mob. Flames rose everywhere in Salzkuchengasse. It was as if we stared into hell itself. Klosterheim clambered another few feet. His gasps became the sound of bone scraping bone. His ghastly face glowed in the hot light from the fires below. I shuddered, for it seemed that death itself climbed implacably up through old night to claim our souls for damnation. Then Labusa had unsheathed her sabre, and, before St. Audrin understood her intention, she made a single expert passage, and the rope was sliced. Klosterheim screamed, but it was not a scream of terror. He was screaming pure outrage, a predator thwarted of his victims. He screamed, 
even as he flailed towards the distant surface, toward the greedy fires and that swaying, unwholesome chorus of the damned. It seemed there was a moment when, screaming still, he clawed at the very air for support and found purchase. He was refusing to fall. During the moment, I truly believed he would arrest himself in mid-descent and continuous climb. His hating eyes met mine, and I shuddered. But those clutching, skeletal fingers found no purchase in the cold emptiness. Down dropped Klosterheim in noisy imitation of his old commander. Lucifer flung out from heaven. With one last bellow of angry impotence, with one shrieking curse upon his lips, he plunged, twisting into the flames and was consumed. Labussa smiled her satisfaction and sheathed the sabre, careless of St. Audrin's horror. He must have been hiding in the flues, she said. Did you notice how dusty his coat was? <laughs>